Well, good morning, church. I'm Carlos, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just an absolute privilege to be able to just share some thoughts from the Word of God, and I I just like to dive in. You guys want to just dive in this morning? Is that cool? Uh, So we're going to be reading some verses in Romans chapter 12. Uh, This is a standalone message, and so I just found some verses that were speaking to me, and so uh, I have a message to you today that uh, that I'm calling Cling to Good. Cling to good. And it is inspired uh, from some of the verses uh, that we read in Romans chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 9. They're going to be on the screen in case you don't have your Bible or if you're at home. uh, we, We should show it up on the screen as well. So let's read together. Paul writes, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor of one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Will you pray with me? Father, we are gathered for you. We are gathered for your truth. We are gathered by the power of your Holy Spirit. We just cast out all distractions, anything that doesn't lead us towards you and becoming more like who you want us to be. We, we just push away, and we just ask that we be present with what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, so uh, we're calling today's message Cling to Good. And uh, as many of you already know, the word cling simply means to hold tightly to something. And I just want to begin by considering what are some moments in life where you've had to cling? I'm not talking about that ex-boyfriend or girlfriend that was really clingy, but I'm talking about the times in life where you've had to hold tightly. Can I share a, a, a time in my life with you where I've had to cling? Uh, it was summer of 2016, and I was going through a rough patch. I had some major kind of life changes that were unexpected, and so I needed a getaway me time trip. How many of you have ever done one of those? Like, I need a little bit of me time, right? Some of you are like, Carlos, that's long and gone. That's been days, right? I got, I got responsibility. I got jobs. I get it, right? So um, I decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And so I did something that I had never done before, okay? And I planned a three-day solo camping trip. Now, I know I'm in the presence of some camping greats in here. Right? But I did not grow up going camping. I am not an outdoorsman. That is not my thing. So this is totally different for me. Right? I was uh, raised in California, and so here I am. I'm, I'm planning this trip, and I ask you know, some, some friends of mine, where should I go? Where do I go? Where do you go and find yourself? And one of my, uh, he's, he's actually an older gentleman, a mentor of mine. He says, you know, Carlos, you would appreciate the night sky in Bryce Canyon in Utah, right? And I say, well, I got no other options. Here we are. So I get in my car. I'm in my four-cylinder XB, and I make the four, I'm sorry, the eight-hour trip from Los Angeles to Utah, and I get there, and I don't know what to expect. I don't even know if I'm going to get a campsite, but here I am all by myself. I secure the site all by myself. I pitch my tent all by myself, 
I survive off of cans of ravioli all by myself. And after two days of being under those gorgeous stars, man, I'm like, I'm doing it. I am conquering the great outdoors. This is my Bear Grylls moment, friends. And I'm on top of the world. And so this is a three-day trip, so uh, I decide, hey, I got another 24 hours. I don't have to be home, so why not extend the success? Why not go big? And so I'm looking at the map, and I realize, you know what? I could easily make a, make a pit stop at Zion National Park. Who's ever been there? Zion. Yeah, we got some fans. It's a beautiful place. I had never been there before, but I was crunched on time. So here I am. I'm zooming back home. I make the stop, and I go right to the visitor center, and I ask the, the lady attendant. I say, hey, what's the best hike that I can do in half a day? And she takes that information and says, you know what? There's a lot of good ones here, but a very popular one is called Angel's Landing. But then she tells me, but you should know it's a bit strenuous, and I don't know if you're up for the challenge. And I take that personally, right? Because <laughs> here I am. I'm, I'm Bear Grylls, right, and I'm conquering the outdoors. So I take that as a challenge, and I ask, hey, how long is this going to take me? What's a fast time for this five-mile hike? And she says, oh, three to four hours. And I say, I'm going to do it in two and a half. Watch. So here I am. I take off on this hike, and I'm just zigzagging, I'm passing up people, and here's what starts to happen. The hike, I realize the trail, it starts to get higher and higher, and the cliff starts to get taller and taller, and my confidence starts to get smaller and smaller. <laughs> I'm starting to get out of my comfort zone, right, because now this is becoming a, 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 a hike that requires some heights. And then I get to what makes Angel's Landing special. The last mile of this hike becomes this narrow trail that goes up the spine of a mountain with 1,000 foot drops on either side. We have a picture of it right here. I mean, this hike is considered one of the most dangerous hikes in our country. And I had no idea. And as you could see, I mean, it's so serious that they had to build chains in order for people to safely hike it. So here I am. I don't feel like Bear Grylls anymore. And I'm struggling with this decision. And I'm, I'm wrestling with whether I even want to put myself in this very uncomfortable situation. And after about 30 minutes, I'm not exaggerating, of wrestling with what to do, I start to head back down the trail. But then I have this moment where I realize I'm going to have to tell this story one day. How do I want it to end? And with that, I said, you know what, Carlos, this is your weekend. And I hit this hike. And on that day, friends, I hike Angel's Landing. But let me tell you, every step on the spine of that mountain, I clung to that chain because my life depended on it. And you see, the, the, the hike is so narrow that it, the, and the crowds can get so big that people have to actually make room for others to pass by. And so 
Any opportunity that I had that I was going to have my hand on that chain, I was clinging to my, that chain, friends. And when the four-year-olds came by, I said, nah, young son, you're going to have to crawl underneath. I'm not letting go of this chain. You see, <clears throat> I'm reminded of that, that, that experience when I read Paul's words as he wrote to Rome in uh, chapter 12, verse 9. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. I realize in a, in a gathering like ours, there might be people uh, here today. You might be of someone uh, that's here today or watching online where you are having your angel's landing experience. You're experiencing something that is just bringing you totally out of your comfort zone. It's something that wasn't expected. It's something that you haven't experienced before. And this thing, this experience, this news, uh, this circumstance in your life, it might be bringing up questions and doubt and anxiety and worry and fear. You might be here today or watching online and you feel like your situation has 1,000 foot drops on either side. And so if that's you today, I just want to assure you that you don't need to face your challenge alone. Kind of like this trail, God gives us something to cling to as we scale these angel landing experiences. I'm here to remind you that God has created a way and he's provided some help through his word and the Holy Spirit. We get the support and the guidance we need during those challenging seasons in our life. And some of us are experiencing it this week. So I want to explore that with you. I want to explore what does it look to cling to good when we are faced with life's difficult circumstances. So I want to consider Paul and what he could possibly mean, why he wrote these specific words. Why would Paul say cling to good? Well, when I think of cling, I think of action. I think of doing something. And Paul, I believe, is just saying that it is necessary for us to actively choose the good that God has revealed. Now, why is this necessary? Because we know that it is, in our, it is not in our nature or our instinct to do the good especially when challenged. And if we don't cling to good, we default to something less than good. Paul later writes in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We resist evil by practicing good. And so Paul, I believe, is reminding us that it is necessary, friends, it's necessary to consistently engage in the good that God has revealed for us to live by. I believe uh, this is what Paul says in uh, verse 2 of that same chapter when he famously, you may have heard it uh, read or you've read it yourself, where he famously says, do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, Romans 12, 2. If we do not seek transformation in Christ, we will default to conform to culture. 
So clinging to good, it's resisting conformity. And it's expecting transformation. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. You know, we're going to be looking at some, just some practical ways that that looks like in our lives. But before we do, I just want to highlight a significant truth or a significant shift that happens in Romans chapter 12. Because at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul writes a therefore. And anyone who's studied the Bible or you've been in church, you know that anytime you see the word therefore, you want to know why it's there for. And so what we know of Paul's masterpiece of writing in Romans is that he details uh, beautifully the gospel. And everything from chapter 1 to chapter 11 now deserves a response. And so Paul is writing in, in, in uh, chapter uh, 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy. And so it's important for us to understand, grab a hold of God's mercy. And so I just want to quickly just kind of highlight some of the things that we find in the gospel written in Romans. Uh, and these are some essential truths that make all the difference. And so, uh, number one, we read in Romans that all humanity is trapped in sin and needs rescue. We all need a savior. We also read in Romans that rescue, uh, that's not going to happen by us performing well enough. The third truth is that God's righteousness, the way he decided to save, the way that he decided to rescue us, was through his son, Jesus Christ. Because he was the only one that could meet God's perfect standards. And then lastly, another view of God's mercy, and this, one's, this one includes all of us. It says, God's mission all along since the beginning was to create a family. One that was faith-based and multi-ethnic. And guess what? You and I, we get invited to be a part of that family. Now, why do I bring this up is because Paul essentially in chapter 12, he says, hey, because of all that God has done to you, we, we, we now need to, we now get to, we now get to respond by offering our entire lives as, as, as a living sacrifice. And I bring this point up because no one, no one is going to cling to the everyday goods until you cling to the ultimate good. We're not going to follow the way of Jesus until we've seen the way that he's provided, what he's done for us. God's mercy shown through Jesus Christ. I guess simply said is that um, what Jesus has done for me, I will now choose to live for him. Because of what Jesus has done for me, I will now choose to live for him. God's merciful work in Jesus it's the ultimate basis, it's the ultimate motivation to cling to his teachings, to cling to good. And so what does that look like? Well, I just want to offer a few things that Paul writes here in these verses that we first read. Uh, first of all, uh, we know that clinging to good, it's when we love sincerely. When we choose to love sincerely. Now, what does that mean? It means a type of love that is not pretense, 
It's not fake. It's honest. It's authentic. Other versions of this same verse, it says, love without hypocrisy. And we know that this word uh, hypocrite is a Greek word that simply means actor. And it says love without acting, right? It's saying the same thing, without pretense. And so that is our call, to hold on to good, to cling to good, is to love this way. Now, one of the things that I want to really emphasize is that sincere love, it, it has nothing to do with honest feelings. Did you know that you don't have to like to love? You don't need to have these emotions of love before committing to the actions of love. Sincere love is so powerful that it overcomes feelings. And when we choose to love despite of how we feel, then that is a, that is a powerful, genuine, non-hypocritical love. And so we choose to love people not in accordance to how we feel or what we think is best, but we choose to love people based on how God has revealed is best for them. And so during hard times, we cling to good by practicing sincere love. We also cling to good when we decide to honor others. And to honor others is to evaluate their needs and put their needs above our own. One of the uh, wonderful features of this pandemic is that we have plentiful opportunities to show honor towards others, don't we? Honor is valuing others. It's considering their needs above their own. We cling to good when we share with those in need. We have an opportunity to share with those in need. As we prayed this morning, as we, as we prayed for Afghanistan and we prayed for the people in Haiti, uh, you know, I, I was just learning uh, that the people in Haiti uh, they, they are dealing with much more than just the recent earthquake. Prior to that, there was an assassination of their president that really threw the whole country in turmoil. And then the earthquake hit, and during rescue efforts, they had to experience a storm. And now experts are worried about the sanitation conditions that the, that the people are living in that's, that's going to cause, uh, could give room for other diseases. And so if you want to talk about a people of need, then look no further than the people of Haiti. We have an opportunity to respond to that. There is a gentleman that I heard earlier this week. He says, we have two responses. We either go or we give. We either go or we give. Clinging to good is sharing with those in need. Another form of clinging to good is we, when we invite other people into our homes. And I know that uh, with social distancing and, and safe practices, it's gotten really difficult to really be hospitable in our homes. But can I remind you that hospitality has nothing to do with location. It has everything to do with attitude. It has everything to do with action. 
you know, Ilsen and I, we, we met some great neighbors who eventually moved and were really bummed about that. And they're also raising a child with Down syndrome. And so we took a while to try to coordinate how can we get together and just get, get to know each other a little bit more and share resources. And we decided finally we're going to meet at the park. And as we met at the park, the, the father, he brought over just a, a, a pie, a, a pizza, and that's just my love language, right? Food is my love language. So I'm feeling love. And he's sitting there, and he's serving us pizza, and he's giving us napkin, and he's pouring us drink. And I realized, wow, this man is being hospitable in a public park. He is showing hospitality. And when we show hospitality, we have an opportunity as brothers and sisters or strangers to deepen our relationships, to get to know each other's story. That's why I love fellowship time after services. I get to ask questions. I get to hear about people's week. And how can we uh, better love without knowing? And so Paul says, practice hospitality. We cling to good when we uh, practice empathy. He later writes, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. We participate in the highs and lows of our brothers and sisters. That is how we empathize. Paul also says we cling to good when we continue to serve. He says, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And I just want to highlight the reality that many of us have had our schedules, our routines, even our careers, the way we do our our, our home life. It's been flipped upside down, and some people have really kind of taken advantage to reconsider just the way they're going to be spending this season in their lives and where they're going to be investing in. And a lot of that is shuffling. They call it the great reshuffle. But can I remind you or can I encourage you as you consider these next few months to bring to the forefront of the list as a priority your continual service to the Lord? Paul says, don't give that up. Make that a priority. May I remind you that there are things that God has put in your heart, people, burdens, uh, 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 specific uh, missionary or ministry efforts that God has put in your heart and called you to, that has not changed. Continue to commit to that. Continue to volunteer. Continue to give of your gifts, talents, and treasures. I know someone who's doing this very well. He's a friend of ours. He's, uh, he's an evergreener long-term. And uh, a few days ago, he picked me up for a ride-along. Uh, my friend here is Joel Peterson. Some of you know Joel, and we have a picture of Joel. And uh, Joel's a wonderful guy. If you haven't met him, then you're missing out. Try to, try to get to meet him. But he is our local fire chaplain. And Joel has a passion in life. And that is to come alongside people during some of the darkest moments of their life. As a chaplain, he shows up to a situation where there's been a, life, uh, a lost one that has been lost. And he's, he's there for those that are left behind. He's there to provide comfort, to provide guidance, to provide support. And I'm, I'm in admiration of Joel's choice of work as a fire chaplain. And so when he said, hey, Carlos, um, I, I'd like to pick you up for a ride-along, um, I get excited, right? Because at first, uh, you know, I think, okay, uh, I, I saw, uh, you know, the show Cops growing up. So, like, this is going to be an adventure. Like, let me make sure I have my tennis shoes on. Like, be ready to go. Like, yeah, let's go on a ride-along. Or are we going to put out fires? What are we going to do, Joel? 
But Joel just takes me along uh, to each uh, to the different station that he that he's at, and uh, he just shares his work as a chaplain. And he also just shows me uh, the machinery and the space of where our local heroes, the firemen, uh, work, practice, train, and it's just an awesome couple hours with Joel. And I was so appreciative of the experience. I felt like I was blessed. And Joel uh, drops me off, and I, I, I was just so happy. That, that was just my night, you know, just spending those couple hours with Joel. But then he does something unexpected, something that I hadn't planned for, because as we're sitting in the driveway, he reaches to his pocket, and he says, Carlos, I want to give you something. And he hands me this. Now, you don't see it, but this thing is amazing. And it's mine, so I'm not going to pass it around because it might not come back to me. But he says, Carlos, we do something here uh, called a challenge coin. And so he hands me this. He says, I want you to take this challenge coin, and in the coming days, as you, as you face, you know, a challenge, as you face a hard decision, I want you to do the courageous thing. I want you to do the right thing. And I, and I take that and I said, Joel, you're, just, you're awesome, man. Like, can we do this every week? Like, this is incredible. And uh, what Joel didn't know, or maybe he heard from the Lord, what Joel didn't know that these last couple weeks since I've been holding this coin has been some of the hardest times that I've spent here with my wife in Oregon. Like, it's just been some challenging circumstances that we lived through. And this coin has allowed me as a tangible way to just, like, make the right decision. Make the God choice. And I bring this up simply because I believe that in Paul's writing, Paul takes it from, hey, this is how you should love one another and practice hospitality and continue to serve the Lord. I feel like a lot of those verses are like, yeah, we can do that. That sounds good and it's pleasing and it's refreshing. But then Paul kind of hands us a challenge coin in the next few verses. Because Paul goes from, this is how you should treat each other, to this is how you should treat your enemy. And I want to look at those verses. Beginning in verse 14, Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We read those verses, and I believe, if, if you're like me, you're challenged. Because Paul is telling us to do some unnatural things to our instinct. Like, number one, he's saying, hey, choose to not get even. Don't repay evil with evil. He also reminds us, hey, people are watching. Your witness is at stake. You represent Jesus. He gives us a goal. He says, your goal should be peace. As long as it depends on you, be a peacemaker. That's your priority. Paul then says, hey, you're going to have to resist revenge. I know you want to get revenge, 
But that's God's job. And then he says, you know what? Regarding your enemies, I want you to consider meeting their needs. If they're hungry, give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Meet the needs of your enemies. And then there's this verse that has, I've read, I've always kind of been confused by it, this burning coals verse, right, where he says, by doing this, you're going to heap burning coals on his head. And I just want to offer you a few different interpretations of that. If you don't know, that's actually a Proverbs. So Paul is actually quoting a Proverbs. And so uh, there's been a few different ways of interpreting this verse. The first one uh, is probably the most common. It is simply saying, hey, when your enemy does wrong and you do good, man, that really kind of spins them around. That really kind of confuses them. And they go from that. and They're feeling some shame. They're feeling some conviction. And this burning of coals is kind of representation of that. They're like, they're just going to have to wrestle with that. Like, that, that's just going to really bug them, right? There's conviction. There's some shame there. And I realized that, that that could be very well the case. But then I look at the verse in context and I see that there's this sincerity to love and how we have no agenda when we do. And so uh, I learned about a different possibility. And that's that during the time of, of when Proverbs was written, it was very common for there to be a need for fire starters or fire to be sustained. And so people would who ran out of coals would go with a basket on their heads and ask for burning coals. So just imagine when your neighbor came over for sugar. To put a burning coal on their head was just a way of providing a need that they had. And so it all fits. It says, hey, the way you're going to treat your enemy is give them what they need not what they deserve. And that's a challenge coin, isn't it? This makes me think of, of a situation. Uh, Ilsen and I, we went uh, backpacking for the first time in Washington, and we're starting to start, we're trying to start a fire, and, you know, we're, obviously I'm not an outdoorsman, but we're trying, and so we got this kind of fire somewhat going, and we see our neighbor, it's an entire family, and they have like a 10-foot flame going. I mean, they got like full-on trees, right? It's like, whoa, what's happening over there? And he, the father must have peeked over and saw kind of the smoke that we were producing. And before I know it, like just seconds, I look back, and here he is walking over, I kid you not, with like a, like a probably like a six-foot stump. And he's holding on to this stump, and he's carrying it, and it is on fire on the end. And we realize he's coming over and he's bringing us fire. And we're like, no, it's okay. We're not going to burn this whole place down. Just keep it on your side. But that's the picture. He was simply being neighborly to us. Giving your enemies what they need, not what they deserve, that's clinging to good. That's the way of Jesus. You know, I was uh, listening to an interview with an Afghan pastor I believe his name was David, who now lives in Minnesota. And he was just telling us his opinion on what's going on there. And they were just asking him a lot of questions. And in, in the question, he started to share his testimony. And uh, David grew up as a Muslim. And um, he happened to have a friend who became Christian. 
And when he found out, he challenged his friend, right? He challenged his friend in his belief, and they were having this probably heated discussion where uh, the Christian said, hey, you know what? How about I pray for you? Just let me pray for you. And David, who at the time is Muslim and feels strongly about that, says, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. I'll let you pray for me if I, if, if I can pray for you, right? Kind of like whose God's going to win, right? And so he says that they start to pray and it says that David couldn't believe it because here was this Christian who, according to his faith tradition, was infidel, dirty, no good. Here was this Christian who was beginning to pray the secret things in David's heart. David describes this experience. He's like, It was almost as if he knew me my entire life. As he started to pray, it was almost like he was just unpacking my heart. And so David was wildly confused. How can this infidel know my heart? So this began a journey for David to explore Christianity. And it says that he began to read a Bible and um, at first really read the Bible to, to compare it to the Torah so he could disprove the Bible. And Uh, As he was on that journey, he got caught by some of his Muslim friends, and they weren't too happy to see that David was reading a Bible. And so what they did was they beat David. And so this began a journey of David uh, kind of pulling away from the community, and David ends up in India, and there in India he has the freedom to fully dive into a journey with Jesus and becomes a full-on believer and not only becomes a believer himself, but starts to lead people from India and and Iran and Pakistan and and Afghan people to Christ, and they start this home church. And so David is now describing this amazing journey with Jesus. But when asked if he had spoken to the people in Afghan, he says, yes, I talk to him every day. I still have friends in in, in Afghanistan. And, And he says that the first days when he heard all that had happened and how fast the Taliban had taken over, he says his heart was broken. His heart was broken because he didn't even know how to pray for those first two days. It was just so, so devastating for him to know that his country was being taken over. And on the third day of not knowing how to pray, not knowing what to do, he started to have his conversations with his friends that were still Christian in Afghanistan. And he says in those conversations, his Christian friends in Afghanistan started to share their faith and how they were doing and how they were prepared to meet Jesus. And, Paul, and, and David started to realize, man, they were encouraging me. Here I am in Minnesota in the United States. Here I am safe. And you, you are in danger and you are encouraging me. And at the end of all of this, as the interviewers ask David to pray, he does something that just really threw me, threw me off. And that was the first thing he prayed was for the salvation of Taliban. The first thing he did was he prayed for his enemies. And he prayed that they would see the light of Jesus. That they would understand the error of their wrongs. And that they would repent. And I'm here to tell you that that's the type of God we serve. A God that transforms the hearts of enemies. We're reading writing from Paul who used to persecute Christians. And God chose him to be one of his greatest witnesses. 
And so we're reminded as we see the evil in the world that, you know, our struggle is not against humans. It's not against flesh and blood, as Paul says. Our struggle, our war is against rulers, the authorities, the powers in this dark world, the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. I want to end with uh, a, an incredible achievement. And uh, I began sharing with you how in 2016 I conquered Angel's Landing for the history books. And uh, little did I know that a year later there would be another incredible human achievement. Uh, but this time it was by this man named Alex Hanold. If you don't know Alex, he is a professional rock climber, and he is the only man uh, to have ever free soloed. That means without any equipment, without any harness, ropes, or safety equipment, he free soloed El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. Yes, not too many people will try this, but. Um, I watched the documentary, and, and, I, and I saw what it took uh, in terms of training and preparation and memorization and trials and just the journey that Alex had to take in order to climb that mountain. And so I just want to reflect on this achievement. Uh, I'm going to show you a clip and uh, just going to. Just let you know that if you're a little afraid of heights, then you're going to want, want to maybe uh, not look at the video so much. Or uh, just know that I would not show you anything that doesn't end well. So you don't have to worry about that. So uh, let's, just, let's just be in awe of what Alex was able to achieve that day. It's over now. 
Alex gives a, a new meaning to a mountaintop experience, doesn't he? What an incredible feat, you know. As, um, as, as, as we just kind of close, um, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head as we just reflect on some things. Um, because I know that we gather here, and, and some of us, we, we, have, we have these mountains in front of us. And these mounds represent hardships and challenge. And uh, we're hearing a message today to continue to do the right thing, to continue to cling to the way of Jesus, to continue to follow God's revealed will for our lives. And uh, I just want to encourage you to not give up, to keep trusting the firm grip that is only found in Jesus, to keep trusting the way of Jesus. Because in due time, there's a promise that we will reap a reward. And so, Father, help us as we, as we navigate this season and the many challenges to continue to cling to good, to continue to do what's right, to continue to, to serve you and others and to be able to be hospitable and to be able to treat our enemies the way they need to be treated, not the way they deserve. Let us not grow weary, God. Let us be sustained by you. Give us strength. And help us, Lord, <clears throat> to be able to see that in doing this, there's going to be fruit in our lives that we're going to be able to look back to and say, man, I'm so glad that God sustained me in that season. That you would just be glorified through our lives, that our lives would truly be a reflection of your goodness, that people would look at our lives and say, there is a God that loves us and cares and is powerful. Let us be living sacrifices for you. We pray all this thing in Jesus' name. Amen.